0: You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network,
1: your team every day.
0: Hello friends, welcome to episode 918 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host Brad Roland Coming to you on a Wednesday into Thursday, and thank you as always for joining us on the podcast. Today's show will break down what became a 132-128 to 128 home loss for the Hawks in overtime this evening at the hands of the Brooklyn Nets. A tough game, but also an entertaining one, a well-played one for the most part, and hopefully if you are a Hawks fan, potentially a playoff preview because the Nets are a good team, that was a competitive environment, and a lot of fun to sort of take in the back and forth until the end. Of course, Hawks fans did not, did not love the end result, which I understand, but... A good game to break down here. So coming into the night, the Hawks were six-point home underdogs in this game. A lot of that was the back-to-back that they were on. I know no travel for the Hawks at this time around, but Brooklyn had the day off yesterday, so that gives them an advantage. Also, the Hawks still had injury questions coming into the day. Gallinari ended up playing after being listed as probable. As did Capella. As did Reddish, who came back from a couple of absences recently. But Rajon Rondo did not play in this game, and the Hawks used only nine guys as a result of that. Still you know, competitive throughout, and we'll talk about the rotation and all of that as we dive in here. Um, at, the, at the outset, it was kind of an interesting game and in the fact that there were no real leads. In fact, the largest lead of the night was seven points on either side. So it was it was a true back and forth game in a way that most games are not. You know, most times you'll have a double-digit double lead somewhere, it'll be a back and forth with bigger runs, but this game was hotly contested the entire way, and that was the case from the outset. In fact, the Hawks led 5-0, that was one of their largest leads of the night, which is uh, pretty amusing. The Hawks led by his man as 7 points, but uh, there were 21 lead changes and 15 ties. So that tells you all you need to know about the closely contested atmosphere of this one. But, coming out of the gate, the Hawks did a pretty good job early on. Uh, I thought it was interesting to note the primary defensive assignments in this game. The Hawks started out with DeAndre Hunter on Kyrie Irving, Troy Young on Joe Harris, Kevin Herter had to guard James Harden, which is a tough ask for him, obviously, and then John Collins on Kevin Durant with the starters, with Clint Capella facing off against DeAndre Jordan. We'll come back to Capella later on, of course. Um, there was a good couple of mismatch attacks by the Hawks in the early going that got DeAndre Hunter ISO'd on Kyrie Irving a couple times, that was successful. It was 11-11 at the first time out. That was very fitting as well. Um, They brought in Reddish for Capella as the first sub. Then they went to, uh, he he sort of guarded Durant as his primary assignment in this game. Then they had Collins playing the five at that point, guarding DeAndre Jordan. They had Solomon Hill come in after that. And the Nets went a lot to the Jeff Green at center lineup, which is uh, a talking point later on as well. But that prompted some minutes with Gallinari at center. There was some tinkering going on, as there should have been. You know, The Nets are really tough to defend as a broad general rule, because obviously they had the three primary guys. But then you throw in lineups where you're playing five shooters. You have those three guys. You have Joe Harris, who's an elite shooter, and then he fought out of this game. But um, you have Jeff Green, and then they went to Bruce Brown, and they, they kind of attack you going small. In fact, they only really play one big, and that's Jordan at this point. And he was pretty limited in this game. So you know the entire fourth quarter, basically, the entire overtime period, they were playing small, and that makes life difficult on a team like the Hawks that's trying to play big a lot of the time. Um, The rest of the first quarter was, again, pretty back and forth. The Hawks shot 9 of 23 in the first quarter of this game. They had 8 free throw attempts, 1 turnover, and 4 offensive rebounds, and they were able to sort of buoy their offense despite the poor shooting. Um, Reddish was, I I think, the story of the night offensively in a lot of ways for Atlanta. He had a um, a good start to this game, which was important because he had been struggling so much in the recent days. He had a good kickout pass that was rewarded with an open corner three that he made. He came out pretty, playing playing with a lot of confidence, I would say. And then also, he had a good mid-range pull-up late in the quarter. A couple of offensive rebounds, drew a foul on the final offensive possession of the period. Got a deflection on Kyrie Irving. Just kind of made a lot of things happen in the first, and that seemed to give him confidence throughout the game. Atlanta led by one at the end of the first quarter. Um, To the second quarter, Reddish got got started, I would say, well, again in that period. He beat the shot clock on a deep three to open the second quarter, and then a left-handed layup soon after that. He had 12 points in the first eight minutes that he played on four of six shooting. That was a nice thing to see for Atlanta. Uh, there was the James Harden explosion moments after that. He had 12 points. No, sorry, and 11 points in two minutes and 12 seconds to give Brooklyn a five-point lead. So sort of a trademark explosion there from Harden. That got that got Young and Hunter back off the bench after their once uh, their one rest of the first half. And there was an 8-0 run by the Hawks, their biggest of the night, to take the lead at 47-43. That involved threes by John Collins and DeAndre Hunter, and then a nice drive and finish by, by Reddish. Then a timeout from the Nets. I thought rim protection-wise, um, especially in the first half, Hawks played great around the rim with Collins and Capella, um, really rejecting a lot of uh, attempts. It was not necessarily blocking them all, but just kind of contesting and doing a good job being vertical against the Nets trying to attack. Out of a timeout... They actually exploded the run out to 10-0 because Hunter scored right away after that. That was a, you know, again their biggest run of the night offensively. A minute later, there was a nice split of a double team by Hunter for a bucket. Then he got to the line. He had a really nice stretch at the end of the first uh, at the end of the first half. Um, the Hawks did uh, sort of tie the game and stayed there at the end of the half, 55-55. That was kind of fitting. The Hawks took care of the ball at a very very high level. In this game, in fact, they uh, even with overtime, they, they um, only committed 11 turnovers, and it was only two in the first half. Now, the Hawks have never been a great turnover team. Uh, they've, they've been better this year than they were previously, but two turnovers and a half is outstanding, and that allowed them to overcome some poor shooting in the first half. They got to the line as well 15 times. That was a good theme throughout the game of the Hawks generating free throws, and they got, to, they, got to, they got to the line 28 times. That's very solid as well, but Trey Young was 2 of 12, in the first half, in fact, the backcourt overall, Troy Young and Kevin Hurd was 2 of 16 at the half, and they were tied with the Nets. Again, a lot of that is free throws and not turning the ball over, all that. But they, they, they did a good job. without Trey having it going offensively. I thought Trey actually played pretty well, other than just not the shots not going in in this game. But before halftime, you have 15 for Hunter, 14 for Reddish, 12 points, five rebounds for John Collins. And that that short rotation allowed them to do a couple different things throughout the game. Um, Before we get to the second half, uh, which includes overtime and all kinds of uh, play-by-play kinds of stuff down the stretch, a word from our sponsors on the podcast, and the first of which is betonline.ag. The NFL season is coming to a close in the near future, but the biggest game of all is still to come. And with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered one place that we trust. And that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. If you listen to this show, you will undoubtedly know that the NBA is now in full swing. On top of that, basketball fans may also be interested in jam-packed college basketball slates virtually every night of the week. And from there, the matchup for all the marbles in the NFL is now set. And there are other sports also worthy of your attention from hockey to soccer to MMA and baseball is coming soon. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings from Online on any sport you can think of. And BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering options, future bets, alternate lines, and much, much more. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKED ON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code LOCKED ON for a 50% welcome bonus with betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll dive in now to the second half, which, of course, it got very interesting down the stretch. The Hawks did start the second half very well with a 7 to 1 run that included five points by Trey Young and an assist to account for all seven of the points. And uh, Then Herder made his first shot of the night briefly after that with a uh, a three early in the third quarter. I thought defensively, both guys competed in the backcourt. Uh, Young and Herter are obviously the two weakest defenders that the Hawks use on a regular basis in the backcourt, and those guys did okay, I think, in this game. It's obviously a difficult matchup for anyone, but they kind of held their ground. Uh, Trey got picked on a little bit, especially in the fourth quarter and overtime, but they, they gave good effort, I thought, defensively, both of those guys at various points in the game. Um... They actually went back to the same rotation in the third quarter. It was close the entire way in the third, really. There was a jump shot from Gallinari that gave the Hawks a six-point lead, and it kind of kind of stayed right there with the bench coming in. They played pretty slowly with Young off the court in this game, which I actually would advise. The Hawks, without Trey are not as talented as the Lions that the Nets had um, at most of these points in the game, because they're, they're able to play at least one at their stars at all times. And kind of just playing slow, grinding it out, was probably a good idea when Trey left the game. But... Um, the Hawks actually led by a four-point margin at the end of the third quarter, and you know that's a pretty solid position to be in after forcing a missed three by, by Joe Harris. We're not going. I'm not going to do the entire play-by-play play of the fourth because I have actually have it all written down with copious notes, but it will get very long because the uh, overtime period. At any rate, they started out with the fourth quarter with the starting lineup, except for with Gallinari in for Capella, and he hit a three right out of the gate to put the Hawks up by seven. Again, that was their largest lead of the night at 90 to 83. Early in the fourth, there was a, uh, a a coach's challenge by Lloyd Pierce. On uh, it was actually called a block by Trey Young in real time. The call stood. I think it was probably always going to stand. I think it probably was a charge, but they were never going to overturn it. wasn't clear enough. I do. I don't. I don't mind. Lloyd using a challenge to uh, sort of praise Trey Young's effort a little bit defensively and, um, you know, sort of get the back of his guy. And Hawks fans always want to call for Lloyd, not backing up the players. That's a good example of a star getting um, that challenge. Like, you know, that's been talked about with LeBron at times. Like, he'll kind of dictate challenges with the Lakers. I'm not sure if Trey asked for it, but Lloyd kind of immediately called for the challenge. I think that was a reasonable decision. It didn't work, but I didn't have a huge problem with it. Um, There was a big run, though, coming from the Nets, a 9-0 run to go up by 2 after trailing by 7. The offense kind of stalled for the Hawks at that point in time. It was still Young and Herter kind of struggling to get their shots going. After that, though, the drought kind of broke for both Young and Herter. Young had a 3, and then a really nice pass by John Collins to Gallinari for a dunk to get them going. Brooklyn's offense had it going. Uh, James Harden hit a 3 to go up by 4 with 8 minutes to go. They came back with Capella and Reddish for this little uh, mid-stretch of the fourth quarter and actually played very well in that run. A nice ATO play by Pierce out of the timeout to get a dunk. Uh, That was a really nice draw, uh, sort of design play that the Hawks used and executed very well. Then Reddish got a layup. Herder hit a 3 on the the next two possessions to put the Hawks back in front. They got another stop, and then Reddish missed, but they got got, got a back from Capella to go up 104-101. to The Nets finally scored there, but there was some back and forth. Um, We'll fast forward a little bit here. Um, There was a nice play by DeAndre Hunter going right through KD, actually, for a runner off the glass to go up by 3 with 3.23 to go. At that point in time, there was a timeout. I'll play the audio for you now actually to set the stage a little bit here so the hawks up by th- uh, hawks, hawks up 111 to 108 with 323 to go um this is actually part of a different answer so i'll play the entire thing for you but you'll hear Lloyd pierce talk about the fact that Clint Capella got fatigued uh the second i have a back to back of course so he, he had the injury and all of that so um i'll just play the audio for you and then we'll sort of dive back in uh, with the lineup decisions and all of that so here's Lloyd pierce Thought our guys were
1: tremendous. I, I didn't. I didn't see fatigue. Uh, you know, Clint got tired late in that fourth quarter. We had a great run with him out there, and uh, he was really fatigued because he's defending nothing but a small lineup. And uh, you know, we were able to bring John back. But I thought our guys have been tremendous with their effort and their energy. And a uh, back-to-back. I yeah. I didn't really think about that. I don't think any of those guys thought about it tonight.
0: So that's the first mention of Capella having some fatigue, and people were asking um, why Capella. This is a big topic of conversation, at least on Twitter and my mentions and other places, is why Capella was not playing at the end of the fourth and into overtime. First of all, I do understand that question because Click Capella is playing very well, he's a good player etc. But so I want to play that audio for you first. Then following that, I actually asked Lloyd to follow up to that question that you just heard that response, specifically why he went with the lap that he went with at the end of the game with John Collins at center. So here's what he said to my question.
1: Uh, Clint was tired when we subbed him out and we brought John. John was out for a stretch and we had our four smalls. And, and uh, when Clint Clint got fatigued, we were running. We made a nice run. I think they took the lead. We made a nice run with the group. Uh, and all of the action was playing through Clint on the offensive end, just using him in the trail and trying to get some movement and some pace and kind of went back and forth, offense and defense, both teams were scoring, but we got ourselves back in the game and, um, you know, and he's chasing those other guys, Jeff Green and some of those other guys around. So by the time he got fatigued, we brought John back in and and I think it was three or four minutes and and the next thing you
0: know, we're in overtime. I'm going to pledge now to not do five full minutes on this. So I'll just start and get it out of the way now. Uh, this, is, this is probably the number one talking point after the game, which is frustrating because this is a fun game and I don't want to t- spend too much time on this, but people are really upset that Capella didn't play in the overtime period. Uh, obviously, the fatigue explanation does carry some weight there, as you hear that from Pierce. Even before we knew that, though, I had no problem with Capella not playing in overtime. I will also say if they had gone to Capella, I wouldn't have had a problem with that either. But it is very easy to see why the Hawks did what they did here. Brooklyn, in particular, plays five out at the end of games, especially with the way that Jeff Green was playing, who was playing very well in this game. And no, you're not building lamps to defend Jeff Green, but the Nets had five guys on the court who were all good shooters, and that is not a good matchup for Collins and Capella. Yes, you could have blitzed them on the interior, potentially, but that's kind of harder to do with the way that, you know, overtime, crunch time is kind of played. And also, in general, teams are really sub in overtime. Um, You know, it happens occasionally, but most of the time it's like on a foul out or something like that. Most teams are just kind of playing small and Brooklyn's going to play small all the time and they're going to make you do what they do. And Capella, yes, he can play on the perimeter to be sure for a center, but you don't want Click Capella having to guard someone like Jeff Green or someone like Bruce Brown or someone like that on the perimeter or even Kevin Durant. They certainly would have targeted him the way they were targeting Trey Young at times. So without going crazy into this, I think that it's pretty easy to see that the Hawks just did not want to play two bigs against a five-out lineup for Brooklyn. Fatigue probably made the decision at the outset, but not not going back then. The Hawks had five good players on the court. It wasn't like the Hawks were going with some terrible option over Clint Capella. The Hawks were playing five of their core pieces together at the end of the game, so no issue with me. I think it's a, one of the things that you could certainly agree to disagree on. I think there is an argument for maybe going big and trying to dictate a little bit with Capella, especially with the way that he is playing. So I'm not going to tell you that you're that you're crazy wrong to think that Capella was a better option. My issue is the fact that people were like really, really upset about this, and I don't see that as justifiable. I think it's very easy to see what the thought process was. You might disagree with it, and I, I understand that too. That's one of the nuances about basketball. But it's very easy to see what the Hawks... We're thinking there, and honestly, like some of the long rebounds, you know, the two offensive rebounds that Brooklyn got that were big in overtime were both long rebounds that Capella probably would not have been in position to get. You don't want Capella having to be pulled on the perimeter and having to guard 20, 20 feet from the rim. So, all kinds of different stuff you can talk about there. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, the Hawks just didn't execute very well, and I think everyone knows that at the end of the game. So, that non sequitur is now over, and I will I will come back to that later on if necessary. But there you go. Okay, returning to play by play. Three minutes to go. Essentially. Uh, they go with Collins out of the timeout. Um, Hard gets an easy layup. The Nets were really, really targeting Trey Young, um, pretty on purpose. Even Lloyd mentioned that after the game, kind of unprompted, that it was very clear Brooklyn was going after Trey defensively. And by the way, they should. If you're the opposition, that's what you should do in crunch time. You know, playoff basketball, as Lloyd refer, referred to it at, at one point in the post-game um, discussion, is really about mismatches and targeting, and a lot of small ball, and sort of, you know, it's a different basketball than it is the first three quarters in a lot of of different ways, and the Nets were actively seeking out Trey. Now, later on in the overtime period, the Hawks did a pretty good job of sort of pre-switching to get Trey out of actions, to try to hide him a little bit more, and obviously it's all about hiding him in general, but the Nets did a good job late in the fourth quarter of kind of going at him and uh, successfully. At any rate, um, Harden gets fouled. Makes both free throws to give Brooklyn the lead at 112 to 111. Then Collins gets a three-point play going through Joe Harris to give the Hawks a two-point lead again with two and a half minutes to go. Kyrie then ties it. A couple of um, empty trips as the Hawks get a shot clock violation, and then Jeff Green misses a corner three. That was a pretty good break by the Hawks. Um, Cam then took a pretty bad look. Not necessarily a terrible shot, but he um, not one that you would prefer necessarily on a, on a three there. And then they lost Jeff Green cutting down the lane. That was actually, I think, Cam's fault as well, miscommunication-wise. Brooklyn takes the lead to go up by two with about a minute to go. They got in a little bit of trouble offensively with the shot clock on the next possession, but Collins passes to Young, who was fouled on the catch. Brooklyn had a foul to give, though, so the Hawks still had to inbound. Down two with 37 seconds to go. They did that. Um, Reddish had a fantastic scoop finish in the lane with his left hand over Kevin Durant. That was a just a ridiculously good play by Cam. Cam was very good in this game overall, but that was a great finish. So shouts to him for that one to tie the game. Then they, get to, they, they force Harden to settle for a step-back three that he can make, obviously. He does that for a living, but he missed it. And then the Hawks get a timeout with 0.3 seconds to go. They actually had a lob that could have worked. Uh, Collins had a pretty good matchup, but Herter threw a pretty bad pass. It was not executed very well. The timing was kind of off on it, and the uh, Hawks go begging into overtime. So after all of that 48 minutes, it was kind of appropriate that it was an overtime game because it was so close. Um, And overtime obviously didn't go that well for Atlanta. They stayed, they stayed small. Um, with the Collins lineup as I said before Kyrie scores first in overtime then the Hawks turn it over at midcourt not what you want there and then Green gets a, 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 a dunk Duncan transition to go up by four they started again like I said before pre-switching Trey to avoid that targeting that was a nice decision there Then Cam scored to cut it to two the Nets then answered but Collins found Young for a three-point play on a nice cut by Trey to get back within one then The Hawks down four after Jeff Green hits a three. And that's one of those things where they kind of lost him, but that's a reminder of what the Nets can do to you because their center is Jeff Green, who's really like a combo forward in a previous life. And he hits a three there. Her then turns it over. Durant dunks and the Hawks are down six with 246 to go. Now at that point, you're a pretty big underdog, quite obviously. They, They call timeout. Herder misses a three. got to stop, actually. Trey gets the left-handed layup to go to get the, get the lead down to four. They trade buckets, and suddenly the Hawks are down by four. That went about 120 to go. Now, Kyrie had a terrible possession, honestly. Like, like took the whole shot clock and I think missed the entire rim. If he, uh, I think it was off the backboard, if, if memory serves. But he missed pretty badly. Young splits some free throws to get back to three. Then Herder gets a nice strip on Kevin Durant at midcourt. It goes off Kevin Durant. So the Hawks have the ball down three. And on, the, on this possession, with less than a minute to go, they get a three in the air from the corner from DeAndre Hunter. It's a, honestly a pretty good look that he misses that would have tied the game. So if there's one single shot of the game that might have been the biggest swing, it might have been that one. I'm not trying to blame DeAndre, who's very good in this game, but that was the one. The Hawks down three, have a shot in the air to tie it. It doesn't go in. Brooklyn gets the rebound. Um, they actually um, missed the shot. Um, the Nets did with eight seconds to go. KD misses, but then the Nets get, get the long rebound to ice it, and that was the end of that. So obviously the Hawks were trailing the entire way in overtime in fact that was, I believe that was their largest episode of the night at 127 to 121 in overtime so they were never in position to win the game in OT but they could have tied it and forced a second overtime any of that stuff happened and then regulation that obviously could have won a couple of times so a pretty competitive game in a lot of different ways and uh I will say if there's ever a good loss, this is probably it. You know, you, you never want to lose at home, especially. But on a back-to-back, when you're an underdog against a good team and you play well the entire time, there's, talk, there's talking points, there's learning points for this team. And uh, they did not embarrass themselves at all. They played very well in this game overall. We'll talk about some, t- some more takeaways momentarily. But first, a word from our sponsors. And the next one is the good folks at Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case, but also the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic and they continue to be so, but now there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like Caramel Brownie, Lemon Almond Cheesecake, and, a, and of course my personal favorite, and Cookies and Cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose While still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious, bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now. And use the promo code LOCKED ON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED ON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. Before we get to some individual breakdown stuff, some uh, broad takeaways from the game. I know this will be a little bit longer of a podcast, but there was a lot going on in this spot. Um, offensively, the Hawks, after a slow start, played really well. They they put up a offensive rating of about 127 in this game, which is uber elite. I will say Brooklyn's pretty bad defensively, um, in my mind. But still, the Hawks had to execute at a high level to do that. And especially with their shooting it really improved throughout the course of the game. The Hawks shot forty-eight percent from the floor, thirty-nine percent from three, and eighty-nine percent from the from the free throw line in this game. That's about as good as you can ask for. Fifty-eight points in the paint. They were able to attack that and do very well there. Only took, only turning the ball over eleven times. Twenty-nine assists. Um, you know, true shooting, true shooting of sixty-six percent. That, that's really good all the way across for Atlanta. So shouts to them for the way they play offensively, taking advantage of Brooklyn's weaknesses. Now defensively. It was pretty rough, you know. Even with a, sl- a pretty slow pace, actually, in this game, uh, about a 91 pace, that's actually below average. The Nets score 132 in overtime, and they actually had a offensive rating of about 131. So they were really dynamic offensively. That isn't a shock. They are maybe the number one offense in the league, if you know, if all things are right, everybody's playing. They're uh, certainly in the top three, I would say, offensively, with everyone healthy and available, given their talent, and they just shot the heck out of the ball. Obviously, their stars were impressive. All three guys had 26 points or more. KD had 32, 31 for Harden, 26 for Kyrie. That's kind of all that they did. In fact, they held Joe Harris in check, which is interesting, although Joe Harris was actually plus 18. It was funny there were two outlier guys who were plus plus minus in the positive. It was Capella for the Hawks and Harris for the nets and neither guy had like huge statistical games. So that tells you like, it's not always about what you do in the box score plus minus also is not always indicative, but pretty interesting kind of wrinkle there throughout this game. But the Hawks did play well offensively. I think defensively, they did a pretty credible job at times. It was a little bit shakier in the second half as they got a little bit tired, I'd imagine, but honestly played well overall. And the nets are just really good. So to the individual breakdowns, as we often do on the podcast, Nine players appeared for Atlanta. I will say at the outset, no Akongwu, no Fernando, and no Tony Snell were the guys who were active did not play. Again, I had no issue with Akongwu not playing. It's not ideal. You want him to play at some point, but this is a bad matchup for a young, for a young guy in particular, and a young center as the Hawks already had, you know, not, he was hard enough to play two bigs in this game at any time. And then you try to get into Akongwu. Maybe you could have matched him up with yon Jordan at some point in the first half. If you want to just get him out there, but I didn't have a huge problem with that. And then Snell was the other one, but, you know where do you put him? All that stuff. I had no issue with that whatsoever because Trey Young played a ton of minutes in this game. Brady Goen played nine minutes. He was the only backup point guard. So that tells you how much how much Trey played. Trey played forty four minutes in in an overtime game. BG was scoreless, three assists and a turnover. He was okay defensively, but wasn't necessarily his best work. Solomon Hill played 10 minutes. He was also used pretty sparingly. The Hawks used really six guys above and beyond everybody else, as you'll see momentarily. But Solomon Hill made his own three-point attempt. That was his big contribution in this game. Gallinari is still in a minutes limit of some sort. We do not know exactly what it is, but he played 14 minutes. It's hard to play him defensively against the Nets, especially when they're playing small. But offensively, he's still a wonder. He hit 11 points in 14 minutes. That's pretty effective. But he was minus 14, and it was tough to guard with him on the court. And then Reddish... Was really awesome in this game. So Cam coming into the night had really been struggling in the last several games. He was actually 4 of 18 from the floor in the last two games that he played. He's missed 4 in the last 6 games with an injury. And for the season, he's shooting sub-40% from the floor. Like, it's been kind of a struggle for Cam all season long. But in this game, he had it going early and often. 24 points, 6 rebounds, 2 steals, and assist, 35 minutes, two uh, sorry 9 of 17 from the floor, 2 of 7 from 3, which is not great, but that means 7 of 10 on 2s, which is good for Cam. Got to the line 4 times, made all 4. I thought he was uh, very good in this game. They needed to keep playing him. and uh, Honestly, this is a big matchup for someone like Cam. It was going to be a big problem, honestly, for the Hawks defensively. They did not have Cam in this game. He was questionable coming into the day. That was a question mark that I had. Like, all right, what are they going to do if Cam can't play defensively? And he was able to play and play well. So that was a nice welcome sign for the Hawks long-term and short-term. Uh, Kevin Herter. Struggled in the first half, but had 11 points. Played well after halftime. Four assists, three rebounds. I thought he competed defensively. Not a good matchup for him necessarily. He's you know, asking him to guard James Harden is not exactly a positive for you. But he was competitive at least defensively. Made a couple of plays, including the late strip on KD at midcourt. That was a nice play for Kevin. Um, John Collins, 21 points, eight rebounds in 39 minutes. A couple of, a couple of nice defensive plays. Hadn't had a block shot in this game. Uh, minus 10, though, unfortunately for him. But nine of 14 from the floor, two of three from three. I thought he was pretty solid uh, defensively as well. I made a couple of nice verticality plays near the rim and a nice, uh, I would say, at least an average or better game for John. Um, Clickapella, 9 points, 11 rebounds, 2 blocks. He was plus 19, but 4-10 from the floor. He wasn't as good tonight as he was in the last couple of games, that's for sure. But he still played well. It's a tough matchup for him, especially when when DeAndre left the game. I, I, I have to go back and look at it, but I think a lot of what... A lot of the gains that Capella had were against Jordan, and he's a lot better than Jordan, which is good to see. But um, that's an interesting sort of uh, conundrum as you get into uh, all the matchup stuff here. But I thought Clint, Clint played well overall. He wasn't quite as dominant as he was in the last few games, but that's not a shot at him. He's, he's, that, that's a level that no one can maintain, so uh, still a solid, solid night for Clint Capella. And then the last two, DeAndre Hunter, 21 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, and 2 blocks in, again, 45 minutes. For DeAndre Hunter, seven twelve from the floor. Got to the line seven times, made six of them. He played very well. Um, you know, always steady, always solid. Couple of uh, really good uh, sort of attacks on mismatches. He's been more confident, showing off his strength and his versatility, and uh, just played very well yet again for DeAndre. And then Trey Young started out slow with his with his shot. Again, he was two of twelve at the break. Finished 7-22, which is not ideal, but. He was more efficient than that because he got to the line 12 times and also shot three away right from, from the three point range. So it was still 28 shooting possession of 28 points, which is not what you want, but it's not like completely underwater offensively. He also had 14 assists. The passing was on point, as it often is with Trey. And then defensively, he competed. Again, it's not great. To have There's no one there's no, there's no to actually put him in this game, to hide him in the way that there is in a lot of matchups. They targeted him, but I thought the effort was pretty solid for Trey. He was competitive in this game uh, and made a couple of plays on the stretch. A couple of turnovers that you didn't want late, 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 late in the game, but still a pretty competitive effort from Trey overall. So that's it for the game portion. Of the podcast, there is plenty more that I could get into in between the uh, the lineups and uh, the crunch time stuff. I could have gone even deeper. I have more notes on the fourth quarter, but that's enough on this spot on this game. I think um, it's still an interesting spot for Atlanta. Overall, they get a split out of the back to back. Obviously, it was a bit of a gift that Clippers didn't have everybody on Tuesday, but the Nets did play everybody, and the Hawks were competitive and could have won the game. So, I think overall the First two games this week have been a solid, solid, like B effort, maybe B plus effort from the Hawks. That's pretty good. Um, to get the split there is all you needed. And then the schedule gets easier on Friday. The Hawks go to Washington for a 7 o'clock p.m. tip on Friday evening. Washington has been uh, walking wounded recently. They had a COVID issue that sat on them for a while. They also have a bunch of injuries. So if that game happens is right now it's scheduled um, Washington's been really really shorthanded in the recent past so that, could, that could be an advantage for Atlanta the Hawks will be favored in that game if they have everybody available so that's a winnable one to be sure on Friday um, last thing this is very frivolous but I'll add it here at the end of the podcast all-star voting begins on thursday at noon people are always intrigued by that so if you want to vote for Trey young who'll get plenty of votes i'm sure also a chance to vote for guys like collins or hunter and capella if you want to um three ways to do that nba.com nba app or twitter that's all available if you'd like to vote for all stars beginning on thursday at noon eastern and podcast scheduling time i am planning to do a podcast on thursday evening um, hopefully with a guest that I have lined up, I, I never want to give that away unless, unless something sort of falls through, but that, that should be fun. If it comes, if it comes together, I will have a podcast, I believe on Thursday evening. And then of course I'll be back after the, after the game on Friday. So please stay tuned. Please tell your friends. Hopefully we, we can all have a, uh, a reasonable discourse together and disagree as friends <laughs> and as, uh, as Twitter folk about Lloyd Pierce or, you know, John Collins or Capella or whatever you want to talk about. Um, I'm always open to follow. If you're a new listener, thank you for joining me on this very, very long edition uh, of a game breakdown but i can be found at bt roland on twitter you can follow the show at locked on hawks on twitter again it's a little thing but i really really appreciate all the subscriptions to the podcast via whichever platform that you choose to listen to podcasts also we could use some five star ratings on apple in particular and some positive comments if you like if you like the show please tell a friend and we'll see you all next time